We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy. Your boy for the offseason. That's right. Offseason boy. That's my new name. John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Welcome to the beginning of the rest of our lives. First, let me introduce my esteemed co-host, Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, hello, sir. Hello, John. How was the game <laughs> last night? <laughs> He's going to come right out and ask it. Um, well, you were there. I was there. Um, I don't want to step on our pod. To- so we actually have a really. So first of all, credit to Jeremy. He thought of the topic for today's or the, the structure, I should say, for today's pod. It's a good one. I don't want to. St- I don't want to step on anything that um, we're going to be talking about. So I will just say now that um, I was happy I got to go to a playoff game. Um. I've never heard the garden as loud as I did, but I'm sure that was the same experience for you in game. I'm sure anybody who was in any of these games probably could say, I've never heard the garden as loud as it was as, loud. Yeah, it was loud. Um, and I will also just say that there were some challenging moments and I will leave it at that for now. And we will revisit perhaps one of those challenging moments as we continue to talk today. Um, so we're recording this um, on, uh, I don't have lost track of days on Thursday, this Thursday after the next season has ended. Um, and um you know, there's a lot of emotions flying through the air. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things being said. There's a lot of headlines being written um, by people who are paid to do such things. Uh, I have, 
I have not spent a lot of time on social media today, but I still am on notifications for for all of the beat writers. And let me tell you, there were a couple moments where I picked up my phone after it vibrated and I wanted to throw that fucking thing across the room. <laughs> I uh, didn't do it, though. Um, no, 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 we're not naming any names here, by the way. Uh, so Jeremy had a great idea for this pod. Uh, I almost want to let you do you want to pitch the idea? Because it's a good one. Yeah. You know, I was looking at this team and it was the sort of thing where I knew the end would eventually arrive for the Knicks. Uh, it's just they weren't built for the postseason to this extent. And that's totally fine. But I just I had this thought process of, you know, this podcast is very therapeutic for me in a lot of ways. And I know that we have a lot of listeners who feel similarly. And I knew that I was going to feel something. I didn't think I would feel quite as bad after game five as I did. I, you know, cause my whole mindset, as you know, John, for this whole year has just been house money. And I, after game four, I thought, you know, like even if the Knicks lose one of the next three games, I can live with it. That's fine. I'll get over it easy. And, you know, they weren't supposed to be here. It's great. All that stuff. And I just felt empty and mm. sad and mm. disappointed. And I knew, you know, I know that all of these good things happened, but I walked away feeling like, really? It's, it's come to this. This is, man, I haven't felt this way in a while, at least not for anything that's ping pong ball related or draft focused or maybe free agency. But about actual in-season feelings, I just, I hadn't had this in a while. And I, I tried my best to kind of actually compartmentalize a lot of it. So when we talk about it, we could break it down. But I thought, even though I'm not necessarily uh, grieving, I felt, why don't we go over the five stages of grief for this season and try to find some catharsis from this point of, I still feel like crap because the team that I've been following for months on end uh, just did not succeed in the end um, and getting to the point where we can process it and say, you know what, this was a great season. I'm really happy with the product that we've got and moving forward and how excited I'm at, but I'm not there yet. I know that by the end of the conversation, we're, We'll be on the right track. We're, we're going to get there. Um, I want to say a couple caveats. One, uh, neither myself or Jeremy, I don't think at least, um, are, are clinically clinically licensed uh, psychotherapists. Um, two, um, I actually, I love this idea that you came up with because, and it hit me honestly just a little while before we started recording. Um, I forgot what it was like to process a playoff <laughs> loss in this way because obviously I've, you know, as anybody who's listened to this knows, I've been a fan since, you know, the, the early to mid nineties. Um, and we, there have been uh, the Marbury, you know, playoff series against kid in the nets in the early two thousands, but then the three in a row, but those were, those were very different for different reasons. And we don't need to get into it now, but I, I just, I, I remember very distinctly um, other than 12, 13 and 12, 13 was very unique because I had just met the the woman who I knew, I had like, it was funny. I was realizing at the time that they were going into those playoffs that I was going to marry this person. And so as disappointed as I was that that ended, um, I was like, it was tough for me to be like that said now I'm old and married and have two kids. So it's easy, easier to, to, um, you know, lend yourself a little bit over to, uh, your, your, your sports fandom as it were. Um, so let's get started. I think that's a, I think that's a good place to kick it off. So denial is the first stage, right? Um, I've thought about this one for a little while. Um, and I, I think there's only one place to, to start 
for me here, which is that I'm kind of in denial about the fact that anything, anything that we said over the course of the season in terms of long-term ramifications of this year and the positive long-term effects of this year might not be true. Um, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how this year, everything that went on this year was a setup for things to come. And that it like all of the important stuff was in like the good, because of all the good that was happening. And it's just going to be like the gravy train is going to keep moving. Um, and I, there's a lot of conversation about how now I, I don't, maybe that's not the case. I don't want to accept that. I just want the good vibes to continue. And I just don't want to be, I don't want to be faced with being upset about anything. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in denial about that. Where, where, where are you at? Yeah. I, part of it is the season as a whole, you know, as we've said, I still can't really believe it that, that everything is kind of, occurred in this way. Um, I guess it's more the idea of, I thought that there would be a greater chance with this series, right? Not even necessarily winning. You know, I I did think they'd win it, but they didn't. It was more the idea of it'll at least be more competitive. The bottom won't fall out as frequently as it kind of did. And so I guess the denial for me right now is like, well, the Knicks can't be like, they couldn't have gone out like that. Right. After this whole season, like, in five games and to that team, right. To to the Hawks team, which again is well coached, but they're not a, they're not this elite team that is out there. And this, this feeling of confidence from good vibes all around this whole season. And it it just, that's kind of what's, what's shaking me the most where I, I can't say that I would, I can't say it would have gone out any other way when we look at the five games that are there, but to think like there are five games and these other opportunities that were there and in each game they slipped, they slipped away for one reason or another. And I can't really believe that it has happened that way. It, it's interesting because I think my denial is tied into your denial because I don't think as much as we said going into the series it's once they got the four seed, we were like, anything that happens is gravy, right? They got a, this team, this fucking team got home court advantage in the playoffs. We said to ourselves, whatever happens is gravy, but we were, that was denial. We didn't really, <laughs> we didn't really believe that. We didn't yeah. really believe that, which is why now you're in denial about how they went out. I'm in denial about the fact that like, all, like some of the, the, the good ramifications of the year as a whole may now be um, on hold uh, as it were. Um, and I'm all, and this is actually going to lead into uh, the next stage of grief which is anger, um, quote, quote, unquote, why am I so sad? <laughs> Wait, but, but before we get there, I want to oh, add yeah, one please, more thing yeah. about denial. I think yeah. another thing about denial is for me, well, I'm trying to not get too much to another stage, right? But it's also like, I can't believe that the Knicks had to, like with the team that they had in terms of injuries and COVID getting there, but then when these players were healthy, how it didn't propel them even further. So I guess just to, um, but, but again, that, Part of that will go more a little bit later. That's it. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it will too. What I was going to say is I'm in denial that we let that shitty little piss ant. Um, could someone put that on his Wikipedia page? Um, I just, I'm old. You're not, re- I mean, you remember, do, do you remember, remember Reggie Miller? Not as a player. Okay. 
I a- Andrew remembers him not as well as I do because I I remember my my I think I've written this or, or at least said this I've um my first memory of Reggie Miller was going to bed before the fourth quarter of game five of the 94 Eastern conference finals when the Knicks were up, I think they were up by 15 heading into the fourth quarter of that series. Um, and then I woke up the next morning and my, and my dad was like, uh, yeah, they lost Reggie Miller scored 25 points in the fourth quarter. And I was like, what? Um, so yeah, that was my first introduction to Reggie Miller. Reggie. I did not think it was possible to hate a player as much as I hated Reggie Miller. And it wasn't, it was, and that wasn't even the, the worst of it. It was the next year with the, you know, with the eight points and 8.9 seconds. Anyway, the feelings that I have towards Trey Young after some of the shit he pulled, and the worst part of it is, and this is again, I'm in denial about this. <laughs> the only way you feel that way about a player is if you know in your heart that they're really fucking good. And that it's just, I'm in, I am in denial that that guy, not, you know, I mean, I'm not Giannis. Like if you lose to Giannis or Embiid or Durant or Jimmy Butler, like if you these are these are manly men, manly basketball players, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> telling me to ease up. Trey Young is is I mean look he's a slight little guy. I'm just saying it like it is. He's a little nothing. He's a little balding nothing. Um, and he's afraid of birds. So you know, and that gets me. And that gets me to anger. Um, I am very angry that Trey Young beat us. And I just really just don't like it. I don't, I'm not happy. I was in the garden last night. And when he bowed, when he fucking bowed, he had the, the gall of bow. Come on, man. What the F? So yeah. now, now we're censoring ourselves. All right. Good to, good to know. <laughs> um, I think my anger definitely is uh, Trey Young related for sure. A lot of it, and this is not to say the reason why the Knicks lost by any means, but with the refs, like for last night's game, for example, when Trey Young draws these absurd fouls and then Julius Randle does the same thing and gets called for the offensive foul, it's infuriating. Or how, you know, one play that Randle has that it really, to me, didn't look like a flagrant foul, and it turned out it wasn't. But then Taj Gibson stopping DeAndre Hunter from trying to go up for a dunk is ruled as a flagrant foul. And it, the calls are all over the place. Game one, everything seemed great. It seemed like the, the trend for the series would be this will be clean, mm. uh, or, or at least in the sense of like not so much the action, but the play calling or the, the ref calling. Like We're going to try to make this feel like it's, it's playoff intensity. There's not going to be a lot of ticky-tack stuff. And then the fourth quarter came on, and all hell broke loose. It was like the dam flooded or, you know, so mm. I think a lot of my anger stems from that, but yes, it stems from Trey young being able to hush everyone on the court, uh, telling everyone to, to shut up and, and essentially mm. him having that type of control. But you know, it's, it's also just like other guys being in the right place at the right time. Coincidentally, that Bogdanovich three, that was infuriating or uh, yeah. like a, a lot of the, I guess here's the thing. The Hawks were favored going into the series, even though the Knicks were the fourth seed. And so the idea of all these players talking smack, which granted backed up, don't get me wrong, but they also talked when they were ahead. Um, I saw some quote about how Michael Jordan used to say, it's one thing to talk when you're ahead, but when you're behind or in lockstep, like tied with someone, then then it's a slightly different thing. So, you know, my, my anger is, is more, yes, it is at Atlanta, but 
I think it's the fact that there was so much crying going on from the Hawks' perspective from the beginning of the series, even before it started. This idea that really gets of under how your skin? it it does in the sense that it's just like it's just saying things for no reason, right? Because it's all about controlling a narrative. If you're Nate McMillan, it's a win-win for you, right? You mm. say, "Oh, well, the NBA wants the Knicks to to prosper and to thrive." It's the if best twenty-five grand he ever spent, <laughs> right? Exactly, because basically what you're saying is, "Hey." The refs are trying to sway the Knicks in one direction because the NBA wants them. Uh, and if that's true, then that's just a terrible look for everyone. And it's like, look at what the Knicks are doing. They're getting all the favorable calls. And if it's not true, they can still pretend that it is and go on and be like, look, like we're fighting for our lives here. So it's the perfect excuse if they don't win, but they wound up winning. So, I, you know, I think there's, there's, there's anger for the Hawks for sure, but it's also like very much ref focused. And again, I'm not saying the refs are the reason why the Knicks went one way or another. Well, it's just ways that it was called. It just seemed like it was very lopsided. And I'm not talking about the the one game in Atlanta where the Knicks had, you know, a tremendous amount of free throws to Atlanta's very few. I, I, I understand that that was seriously in favoring the Knicks, but through the course of the series, Trey initiates contact and looks like a rag doll and we know that he's not, you know, you say he's a small guy. He absolutely is, but he sells it in a way where he uses it to his advantage. And I just, I would like the NBA to look at it completely in terms of how a player like him draws fouls, because it just like, even Steve Nash said it. And he's someone who, who you know, understands, like, it doesn't feel like basketball. He gets away with yeah. it. And, and that's fine because those are the parameters of the rules. Uh, you could say, don't hate the player, hate the game. I'm not hating the player. I'm hating the game because of the fact that I think that the way that you are able to draw contact, like basically using your head to punch Reggie Bullock in the chin and you get three free throws out of that. That to me does not feel like a basketball play. When you are initiating the contact, if you, if the NBA has, has ruled that you can't put your leg out to draw contact and, and basically get three shots or two shots in this case out of it, then why is this any different? So, So I think it's a more uh, macro problem. No, but it in terms of my anger, but it, it feeds into the micro stuff. No, but I think it it is it is micro, and the reason it's micro is because to me, and maybe this is just you know me being a sore loser because this is the guy we just lost to. But in my defense, in my defense, um, I've always been a James Harden supporter, and you anyone go back through my social media and 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 just look like I, I have an immense amount of respect for the guy. I've, I've said, I think he's one of the top 10 offensive players of all time. I thought, you know, he deserves all of his NBA uh, MVP, um, you know, like vote tallies. When he gets those calls and he goes to the line, I feel like it's because there is a, there is a part of that, that you cannot stop him unless you foul him because of the things that he is able to do. He forces people's hands. Does he initiate some of that contact? 1000% he initiates some of that contact, but there is a sense that like, if you don't do that stuff, he's just going to go off for whatever he goes off for, you know, 40 points every time because he's deadly from with the step back. And he's like, he is a, just an absolute magician, a master uh, craftsman, so to speak, when he gets into the lane, don't get me wrong. Trey Young has some nice handles, some really nice handles. Um, but what he's doing to me goes to a different level of using the refereeing to to 
and bring it to a place it's not supposed to go. And I don't know where that line is. I'm not even saying it's a fine line. It's probably like a hazy fog between the Harden and like the young, but I know young's on the wrong side of it. That's what I'm damn sure of. Um, and Luke which is, is similar to Harden too, in the sense of it's just like big, strong guys who, yes. who can get to the rim and you have yes. to wrap them up. Right. Yes. With Trey, it's just like, look how small he is. Of course you're drawing that contact. Like he's going to get, the, it's almost like, and I say this as an only child, but it feels like the little brother idea where it's like anything that, that you do, if the little brother gets hurt in any way, it's how could you do this? Whereas well, if the little brother hurts you. It's like, yeah. well, like you're the bigger brother. You're supposed to take it. But, and and there's another part to this. And I, I don't want to go off on it, but you know, back in my day when basketball was, was great. Uh, tangent, although I guess I'm about to like Isaiah Thomas, the, the original Isaiah Thomas, and, and actually the more recent Isaiah Thomas. I mean, look at where his career ended up because of some physical maladies. But hold it with the original Isaiah Thomas. He got the shit kicked out of him by the Celtics, by the Bulls. I he there's a reason the man essentially retired from basketball after a little bit more than a decade. Um, he won two championships. Um, and he did it because he took the pounding and he came back, he got up and he would, you know, he famously, uh, you know, had a, a, one of the best quarters in NBA history on like one leg. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's Isaiah Thomas. Take it through the 90s. You can, There's a ton more examples where that came from. Like with, with this shit, it's like you, you you're not allowed to. Obviously, you're not allowed to play that in more, way anymore. But but again, with, with Harden, like you could beat Harden up because, and he, he has to get back up and like take it like Chris Paul. Even Chris Paul's gotten beat up over the course of his career. Um, and the Trey Young stuff is just like, I don't know. I'm sure Atlanta fans love watching him more than anything and you know good for them um nobody gives a shit about atlanta so it's nice that they have a team in the second round um but yeah it's it it makes me um it makes me angry as well um so uh good good transition um to to bargaining um there's so many good ones yeah, there is. Can I, um, I'll start with one of mine. Cause I have two big ones and I'll, I'll start with one and then I'll, I'll go to you. Um, Oh gosh, which one do I want to start with first? No, I'm going to start with the one that hits closest to my heart. <clears throat> you guys know, um, I have an issue with ever thinking that an authority figure is wrong. For anybody who's listened to this podcast for some time, I had many takes defending David Fisdale. They were bad takes. 
It was just awful. Go back and listen to some of those early pods talking about, oh, he's instilling culture. He's got an axe. An axe. What's more culture than an axe? Um, and I just, um, you know, I think when someone has earned the job of like head coach in the NBA, it's because they are holier than thou and that they do no wrong. And Tom Thibodeau this year, again, I have been the captain of his his bandwagon. I, I, I've, I've been consistent with that. I would go on live streams when people would yell and scream and this and that about Alfred Payton or rotation decisions or minutes or this, that, and the other thing. And I would say, listen, what do you want? Do you want one of the head coaches that have come through here for the last 20 years and that to be your lot in life? No, 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 no. This is our guy. You should be appreciative of him. How dare you speak ill of a single thing he does? And now I have to wrestle with what we just saw over the last five games. And in terms of like the bargaining that's going on in my head, there is a part of me that's like, I know the talent on this roster. It is not anywhere near the talent that Atlanta has. You know, how could anyone have the gall to criticize him for just not being able to continue to make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken shit. And then there's the other part of me who watched, um, Again, I didn't do it for game five, but for game four, watched every um, Knicks shooting possession with Trey Young in the game. And um, how many times did they put him in the action? About like 12% of the time, whatever, 13, 14%, like some obscenely minimal figure. And now they're done in five games and they never and they never once pressed the issue. And I, I, I don't. There is no easy answer for that. So that's my bargaining. That's that's the first bit of bargaining I'm doing. What, what, what bargaining are you doing, Jeremy? I guess I'll start with what if Julius Randle looks like the Julius Randle we saw. Uh, Just in the sense of, you know, he carried this team. That's my other one, by the way. What happens if Julius Randle decides to actually look like the player that he was, the, the most improved player? Where is all this coming from? Why is this happening? What happens if he's able to figure it out and give the Knicks a chance, a puncher's chance to the point where things seem pretty good, where maybe the Knicks win, you know, one of those two games in not so much Atlanta, or I guess what if they win, you know, two of the four, right? And then we're looking at a situation where sure, the Knicks are down three, two or something going to Atlanta, but they still have a chance. They're still in the series, that sort of thing. And, and it's disappointing Obviously, then it didn't happen that way. Um, but just wondering, like, you know, why and where the Monstars took all of his power. And it sucks. Or uh, another one for me is what if Mitchell Robinson isn't hurt? Or even better, what if Mitchell Robinson gets hurt before the trade deadline and not two games after it? Are you about to have an Andre Drummond take? Because I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not about to have Okay, Drummond. thank no, you. No, it's, it's the thought process of, the Knicks went into the trade deadline thinking, well, we just got Mitchell Robinson back, right? Yes. If Mitchell Robinson gets hurt again before the deadline, do they think, well, you know, this is a, a team that's kind of at a crossroads. They are good enough to make this run. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. They also not necessarily talented enough. And do we consider selling off some of the more ancillary pieces, going in on <sighs> development? Yeah. Like, Again, I don't, I don't think there's I a, a right or wrong way of doing it. And I agree. I, I like yeah. the path that they have taken. It's just this idea of they thought Mitchell Robinson was going to be healthy. And he said he wasn't. And it came, unfortunately, at a time after they were able to really make any significant decisions. It's it's funny you say that because I think I think the the 
should we have tanked this season? I think those, that those, we could categorize those as the tinfoil hat people. I think the the folks who were like, we should have um, upgraded more at the deadline have a little bit more validity. Although I'm, I see to me, that's one area that I'm not like, I I'm, I'm not going through any of that on. I'm, I'm happy with what they did and I'm happy with what they didn't do because I do well, we're not at acceptance yet, but um, I do think the fourth seed was important despite how they went out. Um, so would they have gotten the fourth seed had they sold off parts? Probably almost certainly not. Right. Um, but I, you know, who knows? That's, that's an, that's an uncertainty. I want to go back to Robin uh, Robinson uh, Randall for a second. My, my bargaining with him is, is, is different because I find myself um wonder like the the bargaining i'm doing in, in my head is is more like are the all all the people that are saying that like this is what he is like i know that's not true i know that's not true but at the same time i we've all just we all saw what we saw and the numbers are what they are i mean he was his effective field goal percentage for this series was like under, is under 40 right um yeah it, he, like, I just, can a guy be like, how do you go from that confident and like in control of everything? I have you, like, even when he was slumping down the end of the season, didn't it still feel like he was still in control? Yeah. Of the game. Like it still felt like he was like owning those games, even when he wasn't shooting well. And then to come in here and look like a completely different player. I'm like, what? Is it, is that, like, what does that mean? So I don't know if that's bargaining, but I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm asking myself that question and I don't know what the answer is. I think I'll save my thoughts on that for the next uh, okay. phase, but yeah. Or, you know, I think the idea of the Knicks upgrading at the deadline, it's like, well, who really would it have been? Right. Because a lot of people wanted Evan Fournier. Fournier is a really good talent, but he is, he's proven time and time again that he is very good in the regular season and then shrinks in a lot of ways towards the playoffs. And you're dealing with a similar issue in Reggie Bullock. You need that star wing or someone who's like, you know, capable of, of playing at a greater point. And Fournier's defense also, you know, like if they stuck Reggie Bullock on Trey Young a lot, Fournier is not going to do anything to help. Well, like no. what is really going to advance at the end of the day? It's, you know, then it's the other thought of like, well, what if the Knicks had done more to upgrade at the lead ball handler position, right? What if instead of going after someone like uh, Alfred Payton, they instead traded for someone else, right? That sort of mindset. Because, I mean, we know that they traded for Rose and we know that that paid off down the line. Who, but- how, when, <laughs> where, why? <laughs> we, know the, we know the why, um, yeah. we, but we could ask we, the, all the other questions I think are uncertainties. Yeah. You know, and like, I mean, they did trade for Rose and Rose was, I mean, essentially is starting. I mean, he played the minutes of a starting point guard down the stretch and he was effective as a star and as a quasi starting point guy down the stretch. Um, yeah, I don't. And, and what what realistic option was there available that would have gotten them higher than where they got? And that would have made the difference in a series like this. I don't I, I'm not sure I see the answer. Um, and I also think. Yeah, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I mean, this sort of goes into the what if category while we're on it. But, you know, I w- I've been reflecting. I-, I didn't try to do too much because I wanted to save it for what we were doing. But mm-hmm. I couldn't help but feel like looking back, 
one of the turning points, I don't think I really realized at the time is like the Lakers game kind of felt like it just felt like there was a, sh- a shift in momentum and it kind of reverberated through the rest of the season. Like if you think about it, the Knicks had opportunities to win that game and that's not crazy. Something about that box out that just kind of like, it felt like there was an off switch, right? The Knicks did not do well in overtime. And this was a game after they beat the Clippers, which I think was their best win of the season. It was a high, it was unequivocally, it was a high point of the season. Right. And, and, you know, things just kind of crumble from there. You get three home games and each one of them feels like some sort of dud in some way. Right. I mean, the Spurs game, golf, the the Spurs game was the most undud like because it was, they were down and then the, came back from being right. down, but they did go they way were down. down by so much it was at home like against 16, a, 17, a team that was not good. And and right. when they came back in that game and when they came back from 17 down, the Spurs couldn't do a blessed thing on offense and, and the defense played well, but this, that was a Spurs loss. I think as much or more than a Spurs win. And I completely agree with you about the Hornets game and the Celtics game. Those games were utterly dreadful. And then you get a week off and you get Randall who has said in the past that he is not good with these long layoffs. And then he's in his own head. (sighs) And before you know it, it's like, okay, well that's, that's a stretch of eight games and an overtime or an extra overtime, you know, because the Hornets game went to overtime. It's like, that is the sample size we're dealing with. And if you look at Prior to that, the Knicks were rolling, even in the games that they were getting blown out of in Denver and in, in Phoenix. With Phoenix game, it was close for three quarters. And then yeah, that was, was a meltdown game. at the end of the third quarter. So, I, I don't know. It's just maybe looking back, something kind of – there was like – there should have been warning signs about this. And we just ignored them because we thought, oh, those are just tough breaks. And it turned out to be well, a greater issue than maybe we had considered. I'll I'll save my thoughts on that for when we get to acceptance um, in terms of the warning signs about what this team was and what this team wasn't. Um, moving on to depression, this one, I, I mean, okay. So I was thinking about that. I was talking about this with Dolores on our on, on our walk before, as as we are wont to do. Um, and I said to her, and I don't think it's an overstatement. Um, I don't remember the last time that I have felt watching a basketball game in person or at home. Like I felt during the third quarter of game five, because I've, I mean, look as Nick fans, we have watched some shitty basketball (laughs) over the years. It has been very bad. It's been atrocious at times, but here's the thing about when it was atrocious, you knew you were watching an atrocious team. It was like, cause you had watched the previous game and the game before that and the game before that. So when they, when, when the atrocities were rolled out, there was no surprise to the atrocities. Now, fast forward to this year. Have we seen some rough moments of basketball this year? Absolutely. You could, it's actually rare was the Nick game where there wasn't a five to 10 minute stretch where they looked, um, pretty inept on offense where they just like, couldn't put the ball in the hole and they weren't really moving it that well. The, I guess maybe from like the really from almost the beginning, like maybe a minute or two into the third quarter of game five until when quickly checked in. So a nice solid 10 minute stretch of game time. That's the worst thing I, I've seen this year. And because of the, what the expectations were um, versus years past, I can't remember the last time I have felt as despondent watching a stretch of basketball as I was it got to the point after, let me say this, and then I want to get your take on this because I'm sure you 
have some thoughts on this as well. It was maybe seven minutes or so left in the quarter and they had been kicking the ball around and like, it clearly was not going well. And I was at the game with my brother and I turned to him like, they need to, they need to take all these guys out. Like they just need to do a, 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 a hockey lineup or something to that effect, because this is like, it was clear that the, the talk about the Monstars, I don't know what happened at halftime, whatever. There was nothing there. And he just, it kept going another possession and then another possession, another possession and give him credit. They were fighting on defense, but my God, the offensive possessions were getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then by the time, and then obviously when, by the time quickly came in, I think it was a 16 point lead. And then, you know, you kind of knew at that point that it, 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 that was that, um, can you compare that to anything? I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't know if I can really. Um, I mean, unless it's like some sort of meltdown that one of my teams has faced in the past and it's happened. It was a meltdown. In the it was a meltdown. Right. And the, it was this, this hollow feeling, right. Of like, you know, I, again, I could deal with the series loss, but in this manner, like this, it, everything about it. And, it, it the, I think the depression also stems because it's like, well, yes, we can, we can toast to the season and, and what's great. But again, it's like going back to the what ifs with Randall, what happens if a lot of this was a one year inflated thing? Like I, I don't expect him to, to well, maintain a lot of the levels that he did. I think he will improve as a player for his all around game. Cause he continues to do it. You know, so many of us wanted him gone after last season and he shut all of us up. And yep. so many people are now not interested in keeping him long-term. And you'd think that people would have learned their lesson by now that maybe just maybe you don't have to count someone out quite yet. And no, this person served in a role where ideally, you know, for the entire season, he was playing with two non-shooters, a 20 year old and a player in Reggie Bullock who really would be off of the bench anywhere else. Probably at least he's a seventh man. Right. And there's no, no shame in that whatsoever, no. but He's carrying that load, but it, it seemed disappointing to then see him like, you know, be lazy with certain closeouts and get out of his own it, head and, it got to and him. all of that. And it's like you're if you consider yourself to be the leader or a leader, a prominent one at that, you have to be more disciplined. You, you can't let your emotions be quite that transparent because it's going to set some sort of tone. You know, I mean, like in a lot of ways, it felt like RJ after the game was taking this more in stride than Randall did. And I get it. I feel for Randall. I really do because of the fact that he has, you know, he took this whole season on his shoulders and he was wearing, you know, he, he was getting the praise and, and now he's, he's wearing the blame. And I think like a good leader, that's what you should be. You, you shouldn't take the, the, the pride when things are going well. And then, you know, try to figure out how you can get all of the negativity off of you and on to others. You, you win as a team, you lose yeah. as a team but you also look inward. And I, I do think Randall still was able to do that. It's just the other things clouded his judgment. And what depresses me, quote unquote, to this point is like, again, you can cut ties with Randall after next season if you're not going to re-sign him. But what happens if this is felt more like a flash in the pan? Because for a lot of these other teams, like, you know, again, as I've said, the Knicks are ahead of the teams in the bigger markets, at least New York and LA mm -hmm. in terms of where they've been in their rebuilds at the point where they, before they got their stars. But if the Knicks do poorly next season, does all of this just feel like the equivalent of a bubble and how we're viewing the Miami heat? Are we looking at this as a way of like, well, they're good, but 
you know, yeah. they still need more. And who's really going to be the one or or multiple ones to really come in and try to revive this? Because, again, no one really wants to be the savior uh, who's worth saving the franchise as a number one option. And it's just all of this this negativity that then feeds in what happens if you don't do well. Like, uh, There's so much room to grow between now and the 2022 offseason. And then things get a little bit more cramped. But it, the door doesn't shut. It's just it's closer. It's so a little no, bit closer. And, and what happens yeah. if things get too close for comfort? And a lot of this is out of our control. We as fans can't control any of this. So how do we accept what we're seeing and feel comfortable enough that if things go awry, yeah. how, how does this entire beautiful open window then <laughs> stay open and not feel like it's shutting before our very eyes? Now you're talking macro. Um, I want to go back to the, to the micro on, on <laughs> Julius first. No, but, but the, because they're, they're intimately tied in that, you know, they are. The, there is now a mental toughness question that did not exist before if, if anything i think randall proved more than anything that he was a mentally tough player this year because this year came after last year and if you didn't get shook after last year and you were able to come back and do this i mean what more can you say about the guy but that now that question now exists and then there's um and then there's just obviously a well what is julius randall if he is a eight percent worse shooter on long twos and he's a five percent worse shooter on threes and if the finishing that was a strength in his career two and three and four years ago is now going to continue to go on the downside because now we have two straight that's the it's the elephant in the room this year Finishing was not great last year. We blamed it on the spacing. Fast forward to this year, spacing still wasn't great, but finishing wasn't great. It was just as bad as last year. Um, so, and and the and the guy that has been referenced in 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 conversation with the turnaround Julius has had, and I don't want to bring him up because it's going to only make me more depressed. But we're we're all friends here. Um, safe space. Um, is Victor Oladipo. And I'm not talking about post-injury Victor Oladipo. I don't care about that version. I'm talking about the Victor Oladipo that came back the year after he finished, was it seventh in the MVP voting, which is probably right about what Julius Randle is going to finish. Third team All-NBA, he should have been second team, which is, again, probably where Julius is going to finish. He came back the year after that season. His um, field goal percentage went from 47.7 to 42.3. Three-point percentage went from 37.1 to 34.3. Scoring average dropped by a little bit more than four points. His steals went down by about a third. Um, He was a different, like he didn't have it anymore. And then the injury happened. Now, in that season, guess what? Victor Oladipo still made the all-star team, Um, even with those subdued numbers. So, like, how crazy would it be if Julius Randle comes back next year is still good, like, it's like, okay, but like much worse and like still makes the all-star team. And like, now you have like a two, a two time again, we're getting, we're getting so far ahead of ourselves and I don't want to do it. But at the same time, these are now the places that our minds will go to because of what we just saw. The, the other, and this is the last thing I'll say on Randall, the other part of the bargaining is that there has to be another side of it. So the other side of it to me, and that I, I think I'm going to fall back on this season, this off season, the, as you said, 
the gap between him and the second best player on this team is as large or larger than the gap between any two top two players in the league. And that is not to disparage what RJ Barrett is going to become. It is merely talking about what RJ Barrett is. And that is a very, very nice player, but compare him to all the other second bananas. And it's not really a conversation. Um, Those playoff teams, mind you. Yes. Playoff playoff teams. Yes. Sorry. Thank you. Um, So what does Randall look like when you get him another guy? And, and who knows, maybe RJ Barrett comes back next season and he is that other guy. Right. Um, but then, then you go back to the other part of the bargaining and be like, well, Derrick Rose looked pretty damn good for a couple of those playoff games and it didn't seem to make a difference to Randall. So it's like you go back and forth here and you just wish you didn't have to do this. And um, that's where we're at with Mr. Randall. Um, anything else before we move on to the last stage of grief? But well, just one more thing on Randall. I know we've talked yeah, about sure. this. No, listen, he's continuously. The, it's the big, but is is anything else close to that big of a like? Let's call a spade a spade. He is the conversation topic now. Yeah, right. You know, I think there's things you'd maybe preferred to see in RJ. He was so good from deep, and just wasn't working out that way. But I can't. You know, the, the difference between RJ and Randall is that when RJ struggles, it's okay. Well, that's a 20 year old who yep. you can still build around him very easily because of his contract. Yep. When you look at Randall, it's, well, you know, what does this mean now? And again, it's still, it goes back to this thing of if you feel like Randall is a second or third option on a contender, then you can afford to pay him to be a second or third option. You don't have to pay him like a first option, which is everything in terms of this contract and how, even if you signed him to this contract, which again, Either he says, I don't want that because I want to bet on myself and there's nothing you can do about it because that's the most that you can really offer him anyway, or he agrees to it. And then you have his contract on the books. And I don't say that in a negative way. I say that as in, there are so many ways to work yes. around his deal. If, if the whole philosophy is like, hey, let's get a star free agent and oh no, we don't have enough money in 2022. So what are we going to do? You can very easily pull off a sign and trade. You can figure out a team that might want it. You could clear cap space that way if they're that desperate and if they have that type of money. You could do a three-team sign and trade. Like, there are possibilities galore. Locking into a deal is not a death sentence that I think a lot of people might feel it is. But again, it's it's now this whole thought process too of does this type of performance actually help the Knicks? Does it get them to consider or does it get Randall to consider, you know, really I'm doing a great job, one. but but what if, you know, I guess here's the question, right? A year from now, is Julius Randle going to make at least $26 million in the following season? Is that a risk that Randle wants to take? Because he's already going to be making almost 22. It'll be a little over 21. So if you're Randle, you know, you could lock into something and say, just in the off chance that I look good, I want to be here, right? I want this. Yeah. Let's take it. Let's build together. That's totally fine. You could do that. But at the same time, if you are very confident in yourself and Randall has to be, you know, all these guys are confident in themselves. They're, they're NBA players. Oh yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure Randall's confident. Of course. So you can see then generally you, why he could then say, well, no, I don't need that. I had a great season. The postseason was rough. It's a smaller sample size. I got the team to the playoffs in the first place. Like I can bet on myself and come back because I want to keep pushing myself. And the fact that it's a contract year, maybe that gets him even more excited. And and then, you know, he doesn't have that security of, okay, I can play it safe. And then what does that mean for the team moving forward? All of these things that we can factor in, but I I guess the, 
it's going to be a running theme until we decide or we see if Randall signs or not. But the idea of him, you know, being on the team moving forward, it just shouldn't be terrifying, even with this postseason. Because if you can get even better talent around him, you can figure it out. The question, of course, is what is that talent? How are you getting it? And how is it impacting your future plans? Um, the t- two things real quick for anybody who may have missed, like we've talked about this a lot, um, but just to be very clear, when Jeremy, when you're referring to the, the contract that he could sign, there is a maximum that Julius Randle could sign in terms of an extension this summer. It would put him at, I think, what did you say? The 38th highest paid player in the league. Uh, it's probably going to be even lower on that list when after, other guys sign. After yes. guys sign extensions, it'll be in the in the very high 30s or mid 40s. Um, that is the going rate for a second or third option on a really good team. Um, you can always trade that contract. It is that is not an untradeable contract in this league. It is it is a contract that by and large you'll get good stuff for. Um, the and the second thing I want to say is I think the Knicks what this does it puts them in a good position because now they could maybe not look like the hero, but they could look good by going to Julius and say, we know what just happened. We're still going to give you the most. We're going to still offer you the most we can offer you even despite that and put the ball in Julius's court. But for the Knicks to be able to look like, look, we, 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 want to continue building this here. Um, and, you know, might there be some, some queasy moments if, uh, you know, Julius considers like the full four year, like I, I don't, I, here's what I don't think is going to happen. I don't think he's going to sign a full four year extension this, this summer. And we don't have to don't talk either. about like, well, what do, you don't think so either? No, I, I it, so for the article I wrote for the Strickland, I basically pointed out that you could, if you, if Julius really wanted to bet on himself and figure out a way to help with the team in terms of flexibility, yeah. the best thing for him to do is to sign a two-year contract. And then that lines him up with 2024 where he could get, you know, that 35% max. Again, I'm not suggesting number one, that he will get it or number two, that he should get it. If there are other things that, that come into play, it's more just like, if that is the time to do it, and if that's the cost of doing business as well, where you get Julius Randle on a great deal when you can put everyone in and then go above the salary cap to re-sign him, because again, it's it's not our money. Like We're not the ones spending the money. As long as Knicks don't hard cap themselves, they would be fine well, dealing with Julius Randle's contract. It's just... You know, that is that is kind of how you focus on on the next couple of years, because that is the most important thing, because by the time, you know, like 2024 rolls around, the Knicks should be a contender. There is not a doubt in my mind that they should be. Will they? Who knows? But but But, when you say it's not our money, when you say it's not our money, the key there is that we're we're talking about once once you go over the cap, how much you go over. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but like. The Sixers right now don't give a shit that Tobias Harris is making $40 million instead no. of $32 million because they're so far over the cap, it doesn't really matter. Does it impede their flexibility in, in, in certain ways? Yes, but for what Tobias Harris does for them, they're not going to care. The Knicks, I think, would sign up for for that being the case with Julius, except he's probably not going to be um, Tobias Harris on the totem pole because he's like their their third best player and, well, whatever. But, now we're but even just ourselves. speaking of the Sixers, they, look at what they did with Al Horford. Yes. That was one of the worst contracts in the NBA, and it cost them, what, a protected first Yeah, in the future and a second? 
You're yep. telling me that Julius Randle is going to cost something? And they, got a, and they got Danny Green out of it, who was right, actually exactly. a player that has been starting for them all year. Right. So, you know, Julius Randle on, on a bigger contract, and I'm not saying the max, right? I'm just focusing on the, the earlier parts of like figuring out from there. Like, yes. That is not this crippling decision that will screw over the Knicks for years to come and will rue the day that it ever happened. Like there no. are ways to work around it. Like, and when you have a surplus of assets, you can afford to do that if you absolutely had to, but they probably won't because you don't have to, you don't have to play at some absurd level to just be traded for matching and some, you know, matching salary and throw in some other assets and you can work yourself into something that is a value for your own team. And let's, Let's be very clear. We're, this is how our minds work. I speak on behalf of you, Jeremy, because I, I know you very well. We're not discounting the possibility that Julius Randle may just very well continue to be a part of the foundation here and that we're all going to look back on this playoff series and laugh someday as like, wow, remember he, when, he, when he shot the bed in that one series? Um, that's what we hope for. I hope for it. I think you probably hope for it too, that he continues to get better and all wonderful things. Um, but that may not happen, which is why, as I'm sure, um, you know, Brock Aller and, and, and company will, will do um, plan for all contingencies, um, which gets us to acceptance. I feel pretty, I feel better than I did an hour ago. I have to say, this has been See? helpful. Isn't this great? It's, <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, I'm going to go through the list of things that I have come to accept. Um, I have come to accept the fact that this team was never a fourth seed in the sense of if you've been watching the NBA for a long time and you're like, oh, team has home court advantage, they must be fill in the blank here in terms of like, I'm not even saying words, but like your mental image of what the team is that is the fourth seed. And I want to make it very clear the reason I'm saying that it is not to disparage the Knicks. Um, it is to actually to compliment them. And here's why. We've seen teams who I think uh, wasn't when Portland got swept out of the playoffs by the, oh, goodness, was it the Pelicans a few years ago? Mm-hmm. The Anthony Davis Pelicans? Were they, I think they were a four seed. Three seed. Look at Andrew Clay. <laughs> Really, best produ- I was gonna. I was gonna do a little bit on Claudio, but I'll just say it now he's best producer in the business. Oh yeah. Um, they were a three seed. That was an embarrassment. Now uh, it was not indicative of their franchise. They came back. They had a very nice season last year. Who knows what's going to happen with the Denver uh, series? Um, the the point is, there have been moments in NBA history where a top four seed got embarrassed, and it was embarrassing, and they should have been embarrassed by what happened. I say that the, I've accepted the fact that the Knicks were not a four seed because I do not think that they or we as fans should be embarrassed by what just happened. Um, and and I, I say that recognizing that that is a, is it apologistic? Is that the word? I think I'm being an apolo- apologist. Yeah. Eh, okay. Something like an apologist. I, I, I say that in full recognition of what I am doing here. Um, but I also genuinely feel it in my bones. Um, and if you're ranking the top teams in the NBA in terms of like put this team in a playoff series with a decent coach with like a commensurate like top 10 NBA team, like where are they going to like the Knicks are probably not in that the top 10 of that group. I think the top 10 of that group is probably the top three in the East, the Hawks and maybe how many teams out West? Is it six teams out West? Is it seven teams out West? Somewhere 
in the vicinity. You want to be mad at me because you'd be like, wait, are you you're saying the Knicks are worse than Dallas? Yes, I'm saying the Knicks are worse than Dallas. And that's because I'm watching a kid over in fucking Dallas do things that you're not supposed to be able to do on a basketball court. Um, but I digress. The point Chris is Porzingis, of course, of course, that's obviously who I know. Timmy, Timmy Hardaway. Porzingis. That's who I was thinking of. Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, no, I was really thinking of Jalen Brunson. Uh, come home, Jalen. Future Nick. Future Nick, Jalen Brunson. <laughs> um, oh, man, that'd be nice. Uh, okay, I'm not going to distract myself. So I've, I've accepted what, what the Knicks are. And in that acceptance, um, I think I personally can go into this offseason despite the things that we have spoken about on this podcast, questions about Thibodeau, questions about Randall, um, all, all of those sorts of things. Um, I can go into this offseason feeling really good because it means that what just happened over the le- putting Randall aside, because again, that's kind of its own conversation, but like what just happened over the last five games should not in any way diminish and I know many have said this, but I just I want to be very specific about like what, why I'm saying it and where I'm coming from um, should not diminish what was accomplished in, in the previous 72. And just the fact that the only and, and I just want to make sure this is crystal clear. The only reason we are going through five stages of grief on this episode is because this team so vastly, vastly, vastly exceeded every reasonable expectation that could have possibly been put forth for them before the season started. And that is why we are sitting here and doing this. And that should not be counted as a demerit against them. That should be counted as a positive. Um, And so I am accepting the fact that this season was um, nothing but a success. And I just, you know, is it a little bit of lipstick on a pig? Maybe, but I, I, I just, you know, in the NBA, it, it, it comes down to talent. This team didn't have enough of it. It sucks that they didn't, um, but it is what it is. And that's where we're at. So, uh, Mr. Cohen, I, I turn to you. Yeah, I, that was very well said. I accept the fact that a team on a shoestring budget with several role players and someone that, again, fans wanted to kick out well before the season, myself included, that the Knicks were able to use all of that to their advantage and make this incredible run in a season mm. where we were expecting them to be, you know, maybe a bottom 10 team, potentially even worse than that. Mm. And they were able to say, no, 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 we're going to be far better than that. We're going to get to the playoffs. We're going to get home court advantage. And sure, the Knicks were exposed at the next level. Yeah, It, it turns out that having star power, it's probably going to take you pretty far. And it did. At least in this case, it took the Hawks further. Uh, and it still is. But, you know, the idea of how we can hang our heads high, and, and I don't want to turn this into this whole, like, you know, um, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened sort of thing, because it, it is still upsetting. I'm still going to walk away numb from this. But yeah. I feel better about the fact that the Knicks were able to, again, take – bare bones situations, not make big upgrades and, and still get blood from a stone, a stone, so to speak. And th- you can take pride in that too. You know, like I, I think that this season as well, it was more personal for me um, just because of, of everything going on and the ability to sit down 
and watch a team that I know has a decent chance. And well, wouldn't you know, they've won nine games in a row right now. And oh, 12 out of 13 and giving me joy, (laughs) extreme joy at a time where, where, again, so much is just crap. And I I accept the fact as well that, you know me, I, I, I pour into these future scenarios of what could happen. And, and obviously some are outlandish. Some are certainly more realistic, but there's nothing outlandish about anything you've ever said on this (laughs) podcast. I just want that to be noted for the record. Let's just ignore everything uh, in the wake of the Leon Rose hire that never happened. Anyways, um, the idea now that we can go into this off season or even next off season and be like, you know, you can dream big dreaming big isn't something that is now preposterous because we're seeing the Knicks get to a point where they could do big things. Like, yeah, if if you like Lonzo ball and you think that the Knicks should sign him, that's great. You're free to feel that. Um, I I'm, I'm happy for you. Your co-host might feel that way. Well, we'll have that conversation. conversation. Listen, we're going to have a lot of fun off season. Oh yes, we will. But you know, again, this idea of like, you don't have to settle. You don't have to say like, well, Lonzo ball is great. And I don't know. I don't want to lose out on a star talent. uh, At least, you know, have no shot. And then I've lost out on Lonzo ball. You you don't have to go through that philosophy. And a big reason for that is because of the Knicks winning that atmosphere. Again, like we can speak personally to how loud that place was, how exciting it was. And when I see tweets about like, Oh, it's just an an overrated building. It's not. You can tell who has not been to a playoff game by how they tweet about the Knicks. It's very obvious. And you know, players are going to see that players are going to feel that even through the television, they're going to learn about it. Derek Rose said that last night, right? He said, players have. I've heard players talk about how much they want to come play here now. Right. And, you know, I this is why Leon Rose and, and World Wide West are here. It is to basically the work starts now in a lot of ways. I mean, it obviously, it started beforehand. But the whole thing of like, if you guys, if your whole thing is also to like eventually the end game being acquire stars, this is your window. You're doing a great job so far. A hundred percent. But, you know, it, it's it's one thing to go from mediocre and a laughing stock to a good team. It's getting from, you know, good to great or great to elite. Mm-hmm. That's that range. And they haven't gotten there yet. And, and I'm not holding it against them by any means. They just, no, no, you time hasn't gotten there like, yet, but it, it doesn't sound like you were right. But that like, this is where it starts. You've taken the next step up. You have to build from here. Um, we could talk about expectations. It'd be pointless because of the fact that we don't even know who's going to be on the team. Um, <laughs> but you know, this idea, if I, I think the one thing I'll say is again, you just, if you match what we saw in any capacity and just look a little bit better as well during the regular season and, and more consistent, especially on offense, you can sell yourself a lot better. You don't have to, you know, go to the next round for it to feel like it's validated. And again, this could change. This is all subject to change. But my, my gut feeling right now is as long as you show consistency, you're on the right track and players are going to say, wow, that, that one season during COVID uh, where there were like 2000 fans in the building for, a long time of the season. Some stadiums didn't even have fans. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just that year. This is legit. This is real. And I'm more interested in being a part of something real. And oh yeah, there's someone else who's also really interested in that. And together with this team, we can create something beautiful. And and I accept the fact that this season is a huge you know step in the right direction for all of that happening. Uh, that was beautiful, Jeremy. Thank you for that. 
Um, very well said. I have nothing. I have nothing else to add. Um, other than to say, um, on a on a on a different note, I think part of why um, the season was so disappointing, the end of the season was so disappointing, is because. Um, and I speak on behalf of Jeremy and, and Andrew when I say this, um, you know, we've gotten so many um, messages and, and people reaching out to us, um, you know, saying how special the season was in part because of like what we do here at next film school. And when you're, when that's happening and you're, and you're, and you're kind of part of it um, for it to, and not to say for it to end, because like you, you, you know, you, you, don't like that people are not going to say nice things about you anymore. It's just more, more the fact that, you know, there, this was a thing that made people happy this season, you know, and it, for it to, and when, when things make us happy, you, it, um, it feels like they deserve a certain ending. Right. Uh, Not to get too like, I don't, I don't get too, but like, you know, when someone is taken from you very quickly or something unexpectedly, like that's, there's a reason why that's really hard. Um, and look, say what you want about how silly it is or is not, but sports are like, we love this shit. There's a reason, there's a reason we get on here and we spend hours of our week talking about this basketball team. It is, it is a, 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 in a perverted sense, it, it is a form of love. Um, so for it to end, you know, for it to end like it did, like that's why it's hard. But just um, to, to anybody who's, who's reached out to any of us, if, if we haven't gotten back to you directly or or expressed our um, gratitude for your sentiments, uh, I'll just I'll say right now, you know, thank you. And uh, also thank you, Jeremy. And, and thank you, Andrew. Um, it just absolute Jeremy. I don't know how you do it every week. You come on here and you deal with my nonsense. Um, Me? I, I, it's, no, seriously. <laughs> I mean, you're the one grinding. Like, no, man, you know, it's like I because here's the thing I, I really when we do these back and forth, it's like you don't know what I'm going to say because we don't tell each other what we're going to say. So it's like I could have said the thing that you were planning on talking about and you just have to fucking react and think of something else on the fly. Yeah. Um, and you're great at it. And you um, and that's why it's it's awesome. And uh, I mean, Andrew Claudio, uh, I've ever run out of words to talk about Andrew Claudio, um, but I will ask him if he has any words to share before we get the hell out of here. For most of my life, Atlanta has caused me a lot of pain, whether it be the Atlanta Braves, who were my nemesis growing up, and um, then you add uh, now Trey Young to the mix, um, and how you know somebody who grew up on 90s hip-hop and New York dominated that scene, and then Atlanta showed up, and now they're the center of the hip-hop world. Uh, you mentioned, we, like, we did this fun bit of going through the five stages of grief, and I just saw the Disney movie uh, Cruella, the, the spin on Cruella DeVille, if you will, John. And uh, apparently there's a sixth stage called Revenge. And I'm very much, <laughs> very much looking forward to getting revenge on Atlanta um, in the in the not too distant future. Leon, Can get I- it done. Can I tell you a thought that I had? I, I'm not advocating like giving up like a real asset or assets for this player, but I was listening to um, what was it the Rusillo Simmons uh, KFC the, Jack the McMullen, Boston uh, yeah, um, Summit er, yeah emergency pod, <laughs> and they were talking about how uh, they were uh, you know probably going to trade like Marcus Smart. It wouldn't surprise anybody if they traded him this summer. And uh, just thinking to myself like 
Well, there's a guy who would who would make Trey Young's life probably a little yes. bit more interesting. Yes. Uh, not to I do just, a full I, yeah. not to do a full Philly and how like they lost to Giannis or they they went and got Al Horford oh, yeah. solely yeah. to go get Giannis. Yeah, like I don't want right. to base the whole offseason. No, 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 no. That. That's ridiculous. But I like where you're thinking because mm-hmm. enemy number one, like people want to say that there's a Knicks Nets rivalry. The Nets are so much farther away. I don't care. Oh, about this is a ri- no, it's a it's a rivalry. It's a rivalry. Yeah. And and but but the, the thing I do, because for anybody who's going to jump and yell and scream at the thought of like going to get a defender, as I have been saying for the last week and a half, the Knicks didn't lose a series because of defense. Oh, yeah. They lost it because they couldn't score the fucking ball. Although and, they, they could use a point of attack defender and they could, Robinson. Yes. But yes. Well, they benched, their, they benched their best point of attack offender, guys. What are you talking I'm glad we haven't said his name the whole podcast. I was going to say, I, we, we, I'm to. sorry, Andrew. We've run out of time for this. Yeah. I don't I can't have an image. I will, just, <laughs> I will just end on this. Uh, to get somewhat real, I said this on on my half of the the post game last night. Like, you know, John just just mentioned it about sports and how important they can be and how much of a nice distraction they can be. Um, you know, it's nice to have somebody to hate in a playoff sense again. Like, in a way, actually feeling a hatred toward a player because we're now rivals in a playoff series is not something I, as a Knicks fan, have felt since the 90s, since Reggie Miller, since Alonzo Mourning, since Tim Hardaway, uh, senior, that would be. And yeah. it's it's my biggest takeaway of this season. And like even more on a personal note, like I've known Jeremy for close to five years now, four or five years now, and yeah. John a little, little bit less than that. And this is easily the most fun I've had watching sports. This is easily the mm. most success i've had working on anything involving sports and you know as as john said any any thanks you give us we extend it right back because this has been an incredible ride and thank you for coming along with us all that being said, um, we're, don't worry, we're not taking a break. <laughs> we're going to keep giving you Nick's content. We got a lot of stuff coming up. We, we've already talked about some stuff we're going to uh, do for the offseason and then extended summer and whatnot. One step at a time, though, uh, we will we will um, take this one in stride and we will be back uh, very soon. So on behalf of Mr. Jeremy Cohen and Mr. Andrew Claudio, uh, thank you for listening to yet another episode of the Nick's Film School podcast. We will be back with you with more delicious content going through different stages with some other emotion uh, before you know it. 